Live from the Great White North, this is the Canadian Investor, where you take control of your own portfolio and gain the confidence you need to succeed in the markets. Hosted by Braden Dennis and Simon Belanger. The Canadian Investor Pod. What is up? I'm Braden Dennis, joined by my co-host Simon Belanger. What's up, Simon? I'm doing well. Uh, just excited to, to talk about what's gonna what we're going to talk about today. So before we get into what I think is a really, really cool topic today, uh, Colin, you kind of, Colin Roy, one of our listeners, thank you, man. This was kind of inspired by uh, what you mentioned, but we're doing our own little take on this. So before we get into what that is, let's talk about the Canadian Investor Pod Index because we haven't uh, given you guys an update since we introduced it. So since my backtest software only works up to the latest month, I'm going to provide performance up till July 1st. But every month, I'm going to give you some new performance. So drum roll, please. The TCI index, which is 25 companies equally weighted, is up a whopping 15.16%. In 2020, and the S&P is actually down 3% as of July 1st. So that is 25 companies equally weighted at 4%, up 15%. There's some good, good names in here. Notable performance in June by Encho Systems, Shopify, Bombardier Rec Products, ticker DOO, up 21%, and an unbelievable 43% return for Spotify not to be confused with Shopify. Simon, I don't know, just saying three of those four top performers were my three picks for the index. I'm patting myself on the back right now. Yeah, we have to remember, though, we're investing for the long term, so that's that's my excuse. <laughs> hey, you, hey, Chewy's up in a major way. Just, it just wasn't a, wasn't a big June pick. But, uh, wow, I am a happy shareholder of Spotify, uh, you know, another easy 30% here in July as well. I get a notification that it's hitting all-time highs every single day for, I think, uh, two out of three days for four or five months now. So it's a good time to be an investor in Spotify. So Simon, this is a good segue because I think Spotify is a very good uh, candidate of what we're talking about. So finding hidden compounders is great. I mean, that's kind of the name of the game, right? But sometimes there's obvious long-term compounders that exist out there uh, and, and are hiding in plain sight. Uh, these companies are obviously leaders in what are we are calling large global secular growth trends, which is the name of the game of this episode, large global secular growth trends. And within that global secular growth, I'm trying to find capital light businesses at fair or undervalued opportunities. So Simon and I both picked a couple of industries and a couple of secular growth trends that we think have massive opportunity to be disruptors and are not necessarily those hidden compounders that a lot of people are looking for. So I will go first because these are definition of companies that I think are just hiding in plain sight. Payments 
is a global secular growth trend for me in a major way. Visa and MasterCard, my largest holdings in my own portfolio. And I've talked, if, if you haven't heard my pitches on Visa and MasterCard, maybe 10 episodes back, go ahead and list exactly, listen to exactly why I think these two companies are going to be winners for decades to come. So with COVID-19, it sped up a lot of that digital payment disruption of maybe five years in the matter of three months. So this is a global trend that is just obviously happening as we move to a cashless society. This is already happening in a major, major way in developed markets with still lots of organic growth there. But also think about how much across the globe it is still primarily a cash-based world in emerging markets and frontier markets. And even a lot of, of Europe and South America, they're primarily, a lot of it is still cash-based transactions. So that's going to shift in a major way. Again, this is an obvious global secular trend that I think Visa and MasterCard are going to benefit in a major, major way, super capital light, free cash flow yields that are just unbelievable, um, incredible margins. So these are just companies that I think are are huge, huge tailwinds at their back over the next few decades. And, and the numbers on their income statements just speak for themselves. What is one that you're seeing, Simon, that's just a huge global secular growth trend? Yeah, and well, just before I go to mine, a few other ideas for people for the payment space. So there's also Square, PayPal, Stoneco, Mercado, Libre with Mercado Pago. So there's other types of companies as well that you can get a pay on uh, play on the payment uh, processing or payment system, digital payments. Uh, I know I own Square, but PayPal as well. They're entering a bit more as well into the uh, crypto space. So those are also companies that would allow you to get exposure to that, but also get exposure to other type of things such as crypto, but Mercado, uh, Libre, obviously e-commerce along with the payment system. So there's a bunch of companies that you can look into to get uh, to have a piece of that global trend. I like that you mentioned that there's a lot of disruptors in fintech, those companies you're mentioning. In my opinion, they still all operate on the rails that Visa and MasterCard have set up. So I just think that they are kind of that obvious winner on all of this while the rest of the in- industry kind of innovates for them. But again, those, those companies have been incredible performers that you've, in, that you've mentioned as well. So that's, it's worth mentioning. Yeah, exactly. And I've used kind of a basket approach for them. So I do own um, Visa, MasterCard, PayPal, Square. Um, so I kind of using a basket approach, but I agree with you for, for MasterCard and Visa there. Um, so for my uh, major health trend, oh, well, major trend globally, so I kind of spoil the brains right there. Um, so the future of healthcare. So I kind of divided that into two main uh, aspects that I see as being uh, a big global trends going forward the next 5, 10, 20, 30, 50, 100 years going forward. So first of all, there's healthcare disruptors. So one of the things with the healthcare system, it's not very efficient. Um, a lot of things, I mean, obviously now we're kind of noticing it a bit more with the pandemic, but uh, I know I've talked about Teladoc before, but 
you know, just imagine if you're someone living in a rural area where it's a small town, you have internet, but you're maybe an hour drive, an hour and a half drive away to access a, like an, a hospital and doctors. So that's really like something to me that's making healthcare a lot more efficient. Um, another company to think about is Amazon. So Amazon purchased a few years ago PillPack. So PillPack is a medication delivery uh Basically, they deliver your medication directly to your door on a monthly basis. They'll work directly with the doctor and insurance uh, companies and automatically refill um, your prescription and send them to your door. So already, you know, that's to me a lot more efficient than going to the pharmacy. Another company in terms of disruptor, it's not a small company, Apple. So Apple has been investing a lot in Apple Health. Um, you can just type Apple Healthcare and you'll get their website and you'll see what they're doing in terms of the future of healthcare. So whether that's the Apple Watch and the information that you can relate to your physician and all the data they collect, uh, there's there's a strong play uh, with Apple as well. Um, the last one in the disruptors, um, I'm not sure if you're familiar with that one, Braden, but uh, it's Intuitive Surgical. So Intuitive Surgical, they have their Da Vinci systems and they actually sell those to hospitals to do surgeries and they're done by a robot basically that's supervised by a physician and they do have reoccurring revenues as well. So once they get that machine into the hospital, there's certain equipment that the hospital has to purchase on a regular basis. So it gives them their reoccurring revenue. Dude, that was my like... Oh, and this company as well for for me to add to your list there. (laughs) I was so ready to say Intuitive Surgical. Um, What an incredible business model, super strong moat and major, major first mover advantage in what is a massive uh, shift in healthcare and, and how surgeries are performed. They have a competitor that's like three or four years behind them. This new project that the new Da Vinci that they're working on is, is really, really cool. And it's just a really cool company too. The tech is really, really, really cool. That company, we could do an entire episode on intuitive surgical, definitely not cheap, but deserves the premium huge wide moat and the margins are nuts. I like that you brought up that they have a lot of recurring revenue because yeah, once they get that robot in the hospital, it is a cash cow for many, many years to come. So that that product life cycle is uh, evergreen for sure. Yeah, exactly. And when the doctors, you know, those machines are not cheap to begin with. And then when the physicians or the doctors, uh, the surgeons are trained on that type of machine, um, it's very sticky just like mentioned. Um, So the next uh, kind of, again, in the future of healthcare is uh, gene sequencing. And I apologize in advance to uh, if we have some doctors or researchers listening to our podcast, this is just a super high level. Um, So gene sequencing companies, so I typically they'll be, um, they'll be kind of grouped into three buckets. So there's gene sequencing companies. So these companies tend to market system to researchers. An example of that would be Illumina that's publicly traded. Um, I don't know too much about this company. So definitely do your research and all the companies I'll be mentioning with a couple of exceptions are definitely um, there are high risk uh, for 
to put likely. So make sure you keep that in mind when you do your research. Um, drug developers uh, related to gene sequencing. So those are companies using discoveries that enabled uh, gene sequences to overcome genetic mutations uh, contributing to like a specific disease. So um, these companies, they really, they can basically create drugs based on, you know, what your DNA is called what basically from your DNA is causing certain disease. Um, so that's an interesting play. Um, two companies that are publicly listed that have, uh, you know, a hand in that is Bristol Myers Squibb. Uh, they actually pay a dividend, so they're a fairly large company, so they're not as risky as the next one I'll mention. Uh, the next one is CRISPR Therapeutics. Um, but there's a bunch of other companies. These are just examples. And the final segment of that is uh, gene screening companies. So those are companies that provide genetic screening services to drug developers, doctors, patients to inform the uh, drug development and treatment decision for specific uh, patients, depending on what you know their DNA sequencing says. Um, so an example would be Invite. Um, I'm going to put it in the show notes. I'm not going to try <laughs> to say it. But all these, for the most part, these companies, they're they're still in their infancy. So they're going to be spending a lot of money and uh, a lot of them might not pan out. So keep that in mind if you're investing in this type of uh, this these types of companies. But I do see a future where gene sequencing will be quite important. Simon, I've heard a lot of words that uh your french canadian accent uh i just i love it but genetic i think is my new favorite one the way you said genetic uh (laughs) so french canadian i love it so for myself another long-term growth trend that is just uh you know again a lot of tailwinds with covid video games so video games is growing at a super super fast clip not only locally but worldwide and worldwide we're seeing a huge growth in mobile gaming you know the barriers of entry are way lower in some of these emerging markets than console gaming and so you're seeing a lot of growth in in mobile gaming and the numbers kind of speak for itself as by far the fastest growing in terms of revenue for a lot of these companies so Companies that come to mind right now, Activision Blizzard, Tencent, and C-Limited. So Activision Blizzard, moving a lot of their big games. You know, they have the classic Call of Duty. Um, They own Candy Crush. You're seeing them take a lot of their big winners on console and move them over to mobile versions as well and become instant cash cows. Uh, Tencent being the big Chinese company that does everything obviously has a large gaming uh, platform as well and then the last one i mentioned was c limited which has been <laughs> on a tear to say the least they do it's kind of like tencent but the for the rest of southeast asia you know they do payments e-commerce and gaming their uh, g arena platform has a ridiculous amount of daily active users uh, over 400 million daily active users. It's just uh, really, really impressive. So I, I, I look at gaming and I think, is, is that 
is that the growth trend? Is this mobile gaming, is that the growth trend? Or will we see a big pickup in console gaming as some of these developed nations go through, you know, modernization? That's that's really to be seen. And then if they can be winners as well in the esports uh, world, which is another one of my big trends, which is experiential consumerism, highly contrarian right now. I think a lot of people, especially the younger generation, are more interested in experiences than things. That's a very obvious growth trend right now. And we're seeing the airline industry benefit from that pre-COVID. So again, contrarian as can be, but experiential consumerism, you're going to be able to pick up definitely some really high quality companies on the cheap right now during covid uh, make sure they have lots of cash on their balance sheet right now. Things that come to mind are Booking Holdings and Live Nation. Again, these are companies that are have been massively benefiting. Great companies, asset light, technology. Uh, these were companies that were highly benefiting from from that trend. Obviously, COVID has changed the narrative uh, narrative on these companies lately, and have been horrible performers. But something to consider. As we get over COVID-19, which we will, we will get over COVID-19 cases right now globally and uh, south of the border tell a different story. But at the end of the day, that trend is not going away. And I think that there's going to be some starved, uh, you know, demand for these kinds of things. So Live Nation is a company that I thank God did not purchase pre-pandemic, but definitely wanted to. The owner of Ticketmaster, of course super high, super, super good business. So we'll see as we get out of this environment, if those really, really high quality experiential consumerism companies start to pick up again. Yeah. For those, I would probably say, make sure that they'll be able to survive the the pandemic. And I'm going to use uh, a well-known Canadian company, Soleil, well, Quebec company that uh, filed for bankruptcy, but I think they found some buyers. Um, I saw the article a few weeks ago. Um, so make sure that they can survive. Uh, I'm not familiar with all their balance sheets. Uh, one other I would add to what you just said, I do like Expedia because they have uh, VRBO. So it gives you a play on that, uh, you know, vacation rental from the owners as well, which, uh, you know, kind of obviously a competitor to Airbnb. Yeah, good point. Uh, there's a like booking holdings, for instance, very, very similar to Expedia. They have lots of different brands under the umbrella, all in that travel experience type industry. Again, this is definitely very contrarian right now and revenues have disintegrated during the pandemic. So something to consider maybe post lockdowns, very, very hard to time this. So if you were to enter a position on the cheap now, I would definitely be dollar cost averaging it and not throwing it in all at once. But again, these are very, very good companies. And there is a recovery in some way uh, to those stories. Who knows when it'll happen. So it's just definitely something to consider. Um, actually, just thinking about it, a company that would touch both video games and entertainment and the experience part would be Disney. Oof. <laughs> I'm sc- I wouldn't be a shareholder of Disney these days. Um, again, you're right. And 
Disney has been a benefit, like they have massively benefited from all three of those trends in the last decade. Being a Disney shareholder has been great up until a few months ago. So you're you're right. Uh, again, a company that is definitely well capitalized like Disney will f- get through this and has other uh, ways to get through this. But again, it does scare me a little bit that even the Orlando locations are open right now. Yeah, and for anyone investing in those type of businesses, whether it's the you know obviously tourism industry right now, you know like Braden said, probably better off dollar cost averaging. And also, it's probably not for the faint of art. Like, it's it's probably going to be a rocky ride. Totally. Um, Hit us with a trend. Yeah, so the next trend that I've um, selected, so it's uh, marijuana industry. Um, so cannabis, uh, for the most part, um, the Canadian companies, I, I would be very reluctant to invest in them right now. But I think long term, and especially as we see more more and more states legalizing in the U.S., um, especially as a lot of states are probably looking to legalize to get that extra revenue because they've lost so much money because of COVID-19. So I can really see in the next few years a lot of U.S. Uh, individual states uh, legalizing. And then I think think it's just a matter of time for um, marijuana to be legalized on a federal level in the U.S. And I think it's we're going to see a big uh, legalization movement the next 10 years worldwide. That's my personal view. I could be completely wrong on that 10 years from now. Um, But again, it's it's a big market. Uh, The estimates are all over the place in terms of what the actual global market uh, would be. Um, I've seen some estimates of around 100 billion, 120 billion, 10 years from now. Again, take that with a grain of salt, because a lot of people were saying that the Canadian market would be a lot bigger than it is um, that we're seeing that it is right now. Um, In terms of company, obviously, there's the usual so canopy. Aurora, uh, EXO for uh, Quebec, there's Zafria. Those are kind of the big ones in Canada. Although I would definitely wait probably a year or two just because there's going to be more consolidation in this space. Um, and we're going to see who the winners are. And there's most likely going to be some companies in the next couple of years that will become profitable. And they're probably going to be able to make some pretty... Pretty good acquisition because uh, a lot of these companies are struggling. They have a lot of debt, so they might be able to buy those assets uh, pennies on the dollars. Um, so that's something to keep in mind. But I definitely see that in terms of the uh, long-term trend as uh, an area that has a lot of uh, opportunities. It's it's a it's an industry that is very obviously growing very fast. Again. It, dabbles a lot with legal with legislations which i don't love my only problem with buying marijuana names is i don't understand any brand loyalty from certain uh growers and distributors i can't get my mind around how that works they rolled it out here and what i'm used to seeing in ontario is it's kind of white labeled with all kinds of warnings and it it will have whoever grew it on there but i don't see any true brand loyalty between one strain of marijuana versus the next and for me i think that's a real challenge for the industry uh, as a whole you know in in uh alcohol branding is 
everything. It's absolutely everything. And that's why you see so many marketing dollars get thrown in there. For a lot of these weed growers, I just don't understand any brand loyalty. And it's very, very difficult for them to establish it when you know you buy a product that's completely white labeled. So I'm interested to see how that shakes out in other jurisdictions as legalization happens, because I think it will happen, not just here in Canada, but across most of the world eventually. Again, how long that takes, I don't know. I am concerned about brand loyalty, though, Simon. Yeah, and I mean, I'm not sure if the growers are necessarily the will necessarily be the best investments per se, but I can see some uh, some company that specialize in premium uh, marijuana. So whether the THC content is much higher, whether it's cured a certain way, whether it's uh, you know all organic, I think we're going to see an evolution of that, and probably a bit more like alcohol, where a certain brand might be associated with more of a premium product. But you have to keep in mind too, the legalization happened extremely quickly. Um, the reason these companies are laying off a lot of people right now is because they. Um, they've ramped up way too much capacity for what the demand is. Um, so I think there's a lot of that's going to shake up in that industry. That's also why I think if you give it a year or two, um, I think there's going to be a lot of change and we'll see who the, uh, the which companies kind of emerge as the winner, whether, you know, whether it's at the actual producers or the ones that uh, process it into certain types of edibles or some types of other sprays or whatever it is. Uh, but I think it's it's definitely something I would keep an eye on. I think long term, uh, there's a good trend there. There is a good trend there. And I wonder if now at this point, at this price, a lot of marijuana stocks, it feels like after the tech boom, uh, after the tech bubble, it feels like really low bargain prices because the marijuana hype up to legalization in October of 2018, prices were out of control. Aurora Cannabis and uh, Canopy Growth Corp trading at over 200 times sales in those fall months of 2018. And then obviously that bubble popped pretty quick. I wonder if it's, you know, after tech boom, buying some of those really high quality internet companies uh, back then, which have been, you know, incredible. Incredible compounders. I wonder if if that's where we sit right now. Who's to say? My next big trend that I'm seeing is software as a service, of course. But I'm not just going to go here and say software as a service is a great trend because that's 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 a little too obvious. What I think is really really important is that there's this new massive amount of companies, smaller niche business-to-business software-as-a-service companies that you would have never heard of that are profitable on day one because of how good this model is. They're able to find product market fit immediately and uh, lock down big, big B2B clients and serve some, provide a ton of ton of value in one little niche vertical of, of that company's value chain and be part of that technology stack that these companies use. And they're very, very niche, and, and there's tons of them out there, the addressable market for these B2B SaaS companies, smaller niche B2B SaaS companies, is huge. So how does, how does this affect you as an investment? Well, there's a lot of really, really big Berkshire Hathaway-type 
holding companies that buy these cash flowing software companies um, as as these founders exit. And it's been really, really good for some of these names. So Constellation Software, big, big Toronto-based story that has... <laughs> it's the definition of what compounding is in the stock market. Constellation's been really good. Of course, I like some other Canadian names, Enchouse and OpenText. Another niche player to consider. A uh, lot of work in the industrial manufacturing space, but also high recurring revenue is Roper Technologies about a $40 billion market cap type company trading on uh, the New York Stock Exchange. I think that these are really, really good companies. They're well-managed. Uh, management is, is everything here. They have to understand technology, so, understand, uh, so, so definitely research the management structure and how they're incentivized. But there is a lot of opportunity for these acquirers to pick up these niche business-to-business software-as-a-service companies that are profitable on day one of their launch, which I find really, really important because they're able to spin off cash for the holding company and rinse and repeat uh, just in a Berkshire Hathaway type model. And it's been an incredible, uh, it's been really good to own these companies over the last 10 years. Yeah, I mean, I totally agree with that. And the one thing to keep in mind with those type of companies, you want to you want to see companies that are keeping their customers, right? So you want to see a good customer retention rate, low churn. Um, so that would be the one thing I would kind of look with these companies. Uh, but the like you just said, I think one big advantage for the kind of niche players is because it's a more niche players, oftentimes the big players will not want to get into that because it's just not worth it for them. So it kind of gives them insulation against the uh, the big players out there like, uh, you know, the big tech companies and creating their own product and just stealing their own biz- their whole business. Yeah, there's way too many verticals and way too many niches for big tech to go at them. They might not be in a dress big enough addressable market but when you combine all of them together uh it's a huge addressable market and the amount and and from the acquirer's perspective the number of companies out there for them to go ahead and purchase is huge constellation software's database of prospects of companies they would be looking to acquire I've heard as well over a thousand companies on their radar of cash flowing software as a service companies with insane margins that are providing a lot of value in those niche spaces for, for companies business to business. So I think this is a huge growth trend. Um, and these B2B SaaS companies, like I'm, I'm a customer of, of, of a lot of them. And the amount of headaches that they solve, automation that they solve, it is a huge, huge ROI for me to be on that subscription. So they provide a ton of value and it's very, very sticky in these niche markets. So I I think owning one of these big acquirers is going to serve investors well. Oh, yeah, exactly. I know. Totally agree. So my next one is space exploration. So this is probably a super long term. So probably one that uh, will, you know, our our own expiry date uh, will be passed before we see uh, everything that can become out of space exploration. But some uh, companies, obviously SpaceX, it's not currently publicly listed, but uh, another one that is, but not 
making any money, so invest at your own risk, is Virgin Galactic. Um, so really the possibilities are quite endless when you come, you kind of start thinking about it and borderline dreaming about the future. Um, you have to think, obviously, there's the, the obvious space travel um, and the money they can make with that. But then when you look at it more long term, think about if companies are able to, um, you know, go to other planets in our solar system and able to harness precious metals from there. So you're actually, you know, not using earth for its natural resources as much as we are currently doing and you can harness that from other planets or or um, comets or anything passing by so if ever we get to that technology there could some be some really interesting businesses uh, that can profit from that that's a good point and i don't know if you are familiar as familiar with uh like raytheon which just got acquired um, or I was actually part of a merger. So Raytheon and uh, Lockheed Martin also have sizable positions of their portfolio by revenue in space. So that could be another way to play the R&D in that, in that area. Yeah, for sure. But man, you you are looking way out. I like that. I like that. I like that. Well, man. I like that. Yeah, and that's why I mentioned. Look, we're we're looking really, really long term. So, but I think I do think it's you know it's the way of the future. When I think is probably the the million dollar question right there. When is the million dollar question? So I think that wraps up this episode, guys. Don't forget that finding hidden compounders is great. But sometimes in the spaces that we just talked about, you know, payments being probably one of my favorites, it's very obvious, these shifts. So you can look at these very obvious trends and find some really, really high quality names that are growing at outsized paces compared to the rest of the market. And I think not being aware of those trends, you will be uh, wishing that you were on the right side of it. That does it for this episode, guys. Thank you so much for listening. As always, getstockmarket.com. We have closed the beta test for Stratosphere 2. Thank you so much. Uh, that'll be launching soon. I couldn't believe how many of you guys are interested in the service, so that is great. More to come on that. We will see you guys next week. Bye-bye. The Canadian investor is not to be taken as investment advice. Braden or Simone may own securities mentioned on this podcast. Always make sure to do your own research and due diligence before making investment decisions. Thanks for listening to this episode of The Canadian Investor. To get a list of the top Canadian dividend stocks right now and other valuable investing resources, go to GetStockMarket.com.